It's Monday, March 5th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Mann, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, happy Monday. Howdy. Okay. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, little something different today. Uh, Bill is back from North Dakota with gifts from a longtime listener. Uh, we, we will get into the gifts in just a moment. but Boy, um, will we. Oh, will we ever. Yeah. Um, uh, I'd mentioned a couple of times about our college investing seminar that we had at The Motley Fool. We actually had it last Friday. It was uh, a great chance for college students to come in, hear from our analysts and advisors. Um, really just a great chance to learn. Um, so in that vein, uh, we talk all the time about Warren Buffett and, and what a great example he is for investors. But um, let's face it. There are a lot of great investors out there. So we thought we would spend a little bit. At of, least seven. At least seven. Yeah. Thought we'd uh, take a couple of minutes today and talk about some great investors who maybe people haven't heard of and what we can learn from them. Um, Joe Mager, I'll start with you. Who's who's your investor for the day? Sure. One of my favorites is Chuck Ockrey. Uh, Chuck is kind of like if David Gardner and Warren Buffett had a love child. <laughs> <laughs> um, he combines super long view growth investing. I can't with, unsee that, but thank you. <laughs> with buying at a quote reasonable price, and then the strategy's done incredibly well for him. Uh, he managed the FBR focused fund, I think, for about a dozen years and mm-hmm. beat ninety nine percent of his competition doing it. Now he runs a fund for himself, uh, Acri Capital. Hugely successful, great investor, and all around just a super funny, foolish guy too. He's come spoke. He's spoken here a couple times and just been great. Yeah. Um, so um, obviously Buffett, very much a value guy. I mean, when you when when Ocri says something like paying reasonable prices for stocks, what does that actually mean? Like he's he's willing to pay up for them? Yeah, he is. I mean, yeah. reasonable is a very open ended term, but I think it's something that Bill and I can probably relate on because we're value guys, but with kind of growthy bents. And sometimes you have to be willing to pay up for yeah. a high quality business that's able to reinvest in itself and grow at high rates for a long time. And, you know, you're much better off doing that than buying a crappy business <laughs> that uh, is riding itself all the way down. And, you know, it may look attractive, but ultimately doesn't have a turnaround catalyst. Yeah, you know, I think the way that, that we always describe this, and I, and if I, you know, if I claim not to have stolen it from Chuck Ockery, I'd probably be lying. But we're looking for things that aren't statistically cheap. I mean, there's things that are statistically cheap, and then there are things that are cheap, and they're not necessarily the same kind of thing because something that is st- statistically cheap has a much higher likelihood of being a garbage business, you know, and something that, that destroys capital. But if we can find companies, even if they've got PEs that, you know, make you blush a little bit, if you look at the, you know, the longer term of what the company might do and it seems like the market has undervalued it, you've got an opportunity there. But it doesn't necessarily reflect in the numbers. One of the things that Acri uh, spells out, I believe, on his website is just the whole notion, and this is a question we get all the time here at The Fool, it's this whole question of when to sell. Um, and you know, similar to some of the things we've talked about, uh, he one of the things he says is, "Hey, look, if we find a better place for our money, if yeah. we feel like there's a better opportunity out there, we're going to sell it. You know, we're moving." Yeah. yeah. Um, Joe, my question for you is on this notion of turnover um, and how how much uh, a fund manager or an investor um, turns over their portfolio is is low turnover an automatic thing for you, meaning that if you're reading about some investor and you see a bunch of things that you like about this person, but then you find out that they've got pretty high turnover, is that automatically a red flag? High turnover is a 
turnoff, and low turnover is a turn on for me. Uh, low turnover, probably <laughs> investingly speaking. <laughs> sure. Well, no, but low turnover. Uh, <laughs> that low too. Turn- <laughs> uh, low, low turnover means that they're not racking up a lot of short-term capital gains. Uh, it means lower fees, mm-hmm. but it also means odds are that you're talking about a manager who takes a long view perspective with their holdings doesn't feel the need to time the market, make a lot of quick changes, and is more comfortable buying a great business and letting the story play out. And that's exactly how I like to invest. So I'd love to see it when my managers think that way. I think what's really important about turnovers is that you look over a period of time that's not within a year. Because, you know, for example, in 2009, the market changed so much from beginning to the middle to the end that you're most likely going to have a lot of turnover. You are... Um, uh, you, you're going to see, uh, especially value managers say, "Well, this has hit my fair value, and they're going to sell." I mean, I, I think what I'm looking for with uh, you know with managers who who uh, have you know with their turnover, I should say, is that that over time it's low because the expenses that come with turnover and taxes and uh, and commissions are real. But on a year to year basis, especially if you're a value guy, if the market is something you know has gone up very fast, you're going to see a lot. Of turnover. Yeah, and ironically, as a value guy, one thing I'm trying to get better about personally is not selling great businesses when they hit what my estimate of fair value is. Oh. A lot of time, I've yeah. seen this happen so many times, but you'll see that great business just keep running away. Yeah. And sometimes as investors, we're slow to accept the new change that's happened in a company, and we're kind of living in the past with those expectations. And, you know, I it's something I've made a mistake on plenty of times, and I'm just working on getting a little bit better about it. Yeah, in our you know in 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 our group, we have something that's called the awesomeness continuum, and the companies that are very high at the you know at the very high end of the companies that we've identified as being truly special businesses, we're going to give them a whole lot more leeway in terms of when you know. On, you know, under what conditions we might cut them loose. So just to finish up on Chuck Acre, Joe, we've talked before about companies that represent the classic Buffett stock. Is there a quintessential Chuck Acre stock out there? And if so, what do you think it is? Yeah, American Tower, and I think this is a name that Bill knows pretty well, but American Tower owns cell sites throughout mm-hmm. the U.S. And, and abroad as well. But the original story was here in the U.S. And basically, he bought into it at a time where telecom had been slaughtered. Mm -hmm. So we got it at a very reasonable price. But, you know, the sell site story, and this was about 10 years ago. So whereas today, we're all so sure that everyone will have three iPhones in their pocket by 2015. You know, back then, this was a little bit of a different notion. But he, you know, hopped into this out of favor stock with big long term tailwinds, and has made an absolute killing on it. These These are cell phone towers? Yes. Are these the ones that actually are masquerade as trees as well? Because I like those. Those I'm sure some of them are. I prefer those. That's one of their product lines. I mean, I think what's important about the cell phone tower industry and and the time that he bought in was that the tower industry is driven not so much by cell phone usage, but by the number of competitors. And 2001 was the last time in which there was a huge consolidation. Because what you'll have on a tower is four or five different uh, carriers on the same tower. But you know, so that's what you know. That was a period of time in which the market really got negative, and he said, "Well, look, you know, people are not going to start. You know, people are not going to start getting rid of their cell phones simply because there are fewer carriers now." And it was, you know, it's. I I agree. It's a, it's a perfect Chuck Ockery stock. Uh, Bill, who's uh, your investor? You want to talk about? Uh, I there's a uh, and 
incidentally, and we and we we didn't consult beforehand. Um, both Chuck Ockrey and my guy are local to Northern Virginia. Chuck's based in what Middleburg, right? Yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's horse country. Uh, Scott Barbie is uh, the uh, the head of uh, the Aegis Group, Aegis Capital, and uh, they run a you know run a few funds. The best of which, to me, is the Aegis Value Fund, and he's a pretty young guy. And um, just say he is actually you know slightly different from Chuck Ockery. He is a a, a statistical value guy. Started out as an oil analyst with uh, Simmons and Company. He's a, he's got an engineering background. Uh, and got his uh, has a uh, an, an MBA from Wharton, but uh, he's a very disciplined investor. And you know what we've learned over the last few years is that it's really hard to uh, you know to have a lot of discipline and to really go you know to to truly go against the crowd in the mutual fund business. And he's just done a great job. He's got a great uh, he's got a you know his manager's uh, comments. I always find uh, really interesting. One of the things that Barbie has said uh, in an interview that I read. Um, he talks about all the research that he does. Mm-hmm. He spends 80 to 90% of his time on research. But he talked about meeting with management and yeah. how he likes to do that. He thinks that's important. I'm curious what you guys think about that because certainly uh, in, in past conversations we've had in this room, meeting with management can be a plus. It can also be a minus. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, well, most guys don't make it to the rank of CEO without being great communicators and able to sway people to their line of thinking. Yeah. So it's really tough to separate – you know, just a smooth talker from a great CEO. Yep. That's really tough to do. The way that I think about it best is just trying to look at how they've delivered on their actual results. Yeah. So against their forecast, if they've come out and said, here are what our goals are, we want to do it over X time, if they're able to consistently deliver on that, then that's a great sign. And that pretty much tells me everything I need to know. Yeah. I mean, for someone like Barbie, and, and, and we are, we're, we're, we're in the same boat too, but they're looking at companies that are statistically cheap. So they have to be able to separate the garbage from the companies that are quality and they're just depressed. And one of the best ways to do that is, is to figure out what management is thinking because a bad management of a bad, you know, of, 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 a, uh, of an inferior company is going to destroy money. I mean, when companies are cheap, it usually means that the market thinks that they are inferior and they're going to destroy money. And usually, you know, a lot of times, really the element that that will make the difference is management. So, yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, it, it's difficult for me to uh, to go out and 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 meet managers simply because I tend to like people. But so what I've trained myself to do is focus on what they're telling me is important and seeing if that, you know, if that lines up with what we think are important. Because a lot of guys, they'll sit down and they're used to meeting with investors who, who are focused on the quarter or they're focused on growth in earnings or they're focused. And, and if that's what they're focused on, it's not necessarily where we think the long-term gains are going to come from. Yeah, I agree with that. On conference calls, if you hear companies or managers talking repeatedly about how the quarter was and they're kind of placating analysts and, you know, doing a lot of back padding, that's one sign. It's another if you're like a Jeff Bezos who's so super long term oriented and almost kind of has a beep you kind of perspective with dealing with Wall Street. Um, yeah, I, I personally find that attractive. And that's yeah. the kind of leader we're looking for. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think a very important thing for us is is we're looking for managers who don't necessarily play the Wall Street game. And those guys are kind of different because they're used to dealing with Wall Street and they're used to Wall Street saying, well, yeah, how'd the quarter go? And how is, you know, how is this little niggling detail? And help me build out my model. And, you know, when we sit down with them, what I'm hoping to hear is this is what our company is going to look like in five years. Is there a quintessential Scott Barbie stock? 
Well, I mentioned Tesoro. I, I, I think if you were to ask them, one of their larger holdings is called Delta Apparel, and they are uh, they, they they are a small, um, basically a t-shirt manufacturer. They do bulk, you know, they you know, but they they do high quality t-shirts. Uh, so at the time that they bought it, it was it was trading below net asset value. So you have a company in which people think you know that they're going to you know they're going to destroy. Uh, money for shareholders and by so, printing T-shirts by printing T-shirts <laughs> exactly which which as we know having gone to colleges happens a lot. <laughs> uh, all right, Chuck Ackery, Scott Barbie, a couple of uh, investors for folks to check out if they're interested. Um, Bill, the last time you were in this room, you mentioned on the podcast that you were heading out to North Dakota. You were taking your your son and your mom to a University of North Dakota hockey game. Yeah, like everybody does. Exactly. <laughs> you're, well, you're a big the college sports guy. family trip. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what happened then? So uh, I was, we, we, we were on the show and I got, a, uh, I, I, I got an email from a longtime listener, uh, listens every day, named Eric Tuckshire, who is a uh, uh, financial advisor with Edward Jones in uh, Jamestown, Nebraska. And he was, I guess- North Dakota. Jamestown, Nebraska, North Dakota. Excuse me, <laughs> just there. And I think what's I think what's interesting about people from North Dakota is that they're going to have to make up for that slight. Just I now. know. <laughs> holy cow! Uh, they really, you know they're all like, "This was going to be our one shot." Here it is. <laughs> they're stunned that you would want to come to North Dakota. So the email I got from him was, "Hey, you must be coming up to look at businesses here. We've got oil." I said, "No, actually, I'm coming up to see a uh, a North Dakota hockey game." And he was, you know, he was. You know, but like everyone else, he was first stunned and then delighted. I mean, they're very proud of their state. It's, it's actually it's beautiful. I mean, you know, for someone who's here on the East Coast, like going someplace and you can see, you know, as you know, you can see as you know as as, as far as you can when you're out outside yeah. of the cities. And and the University of North Dakota's hockey, you know, building is called the Ralph Engelstad Arena, and it is, it's it's spectacular. I mean, it, uh, you know, I've seen. I grew up in North Carolina, so I've seen you know Carolina basketball, seen Duke basketball, seen yeah. those the, the, those barns. But this place, I mean, tops them all. It's just fabulous. And Eric came and met us, and he brought us a gift, which I've brought back to you. So Let's from do, from the I'll go ahead and open them up. Yeah, you go right ahead. This so is from, a, this is from Whitman's Candy Shop. Yes, which has been around. I was on the website. Started in 1885 in <laughs> Iowa. Yeah, and. Ooh. We've got <laughs> now. Now Joe has been into the chocolate-covered jalapenos. Yes, um, but uh, there's also a box of chocolate-covered potato chips. Why don't you cool yourself off with one of which those? Which are just fantastic. Yeah. I got to say, do we you like that. I mean, it's solid. Some right? kick. It does have some kick. Well, it's a Go jalapeno, ahead. so uh, it's delicious. It it is as I said. I like them better than I thought thought I would. And the candy and the and the they've been around forever. It's like a four generation candy store, and they are. Um, Really, just nice people. And Whitman's Candy Shop. Yes. Get online, check them out. They do ship, so we might have to order some of this stuff to get delivered to us. Grand Forks, North Dakota. Um, just to wrap up, um, to bring it full circle to the college investing seminar, um, it was last Friday. Um, we had more than sixty college students from more than fifty colleges, and I, it, I mean, it was an incredibly impressive group. Joe, uh, I think you were part of the the panel that spoke. I don't yeah. think Joe could talk yet. Joe can't talk. <laughs> My yet. mouth is on fire. Yeah, chocolatey um, fire. I, I was impressed by the fact that I just assumed these were going to be students from the greater Washington D.C. area. Um, we had students coming from Wisconsin, Minnesota, Missouri, uh, Georgia. Uh, it was really fantastic and uh, of of special interest to us here in the room. 
there were a handful of students who are longtime listeners. Um, a couple sat in on our taping of Motley Fool Money on Friday. I uh, want to give a shout-out to uh, Nick from Drake, another person who just hauled his way halfway across the country, uh, and Jessica from Georgetown University. They came and they, they caught Motley Fool Money. Thanks also to Ben from Boston University uh, and Brian, who drove up from Virginia Tech on his way to Philadelphia and stopped they in. They came from a long way away. They did. And uh, I think the guy who came the longest, we, we got to just spend 60 seconds on this guy, uh, Andrew from the University of Texas in Dallas. This is an incredible, I mean, all of these kids are incredibly impressive. The fact that they are all starting as early as they are in investing is just—it's just great to see. Yeah, we hate you. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, as a guy in his mid forties, I hate you and the and the decades of compounding interest you have as an advantage over me. Uh, Andrew from from Dallas, Texas. This is a guy who's going to college part time. Um, he is also working at a software company in Dallas. He is also uh, part of U.S. Armed Forces. He's done tours overseas. He's, he's older. He's in his early 30s. Um, so we hate him less than everybody else. Uh, he's just an yeah. incredibly impressive young guy and uh, wish him all the best as, as he's working his way through school. Um, but he did tell a, a really great story, which is this is a guy who is still in the U.S. military. He um, has recruits that he is training in urban combat. And one of the things he does when they are taking a break from training is he will, he will listen to market foolery. He will listen to Motley Fool wow. Money. And woe to any of his recruits who interrupt him while he is listening, because he told us what he does is, if he gets interrupted while he's listening, he makes them do push-ups. He'll basically take off, take out his earbuds, and he'll say, "You just interrupted Joe Mager. Drop and give me fifty push-ups for Joe Mager. You interrupted Bill Mann." My fiance got a pretty big kick out of that one, Joe. Yeah, Joe loves that a little too much, I think. You think we could get that done here at the office, too? I, it would be nice. I do not command that level of respect. <laughs> Joe, <laughs> no, and, and, and as Mac, our producer, was pointing out, I mean, y y you have to follow that through to its logical conclusion, which is that there are military recruits in Texas who must hate Joe's guts. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you're doing push-ups in Joe Mager's name. Like many of us. Well, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, dudes. <laughs> Joe Mager, Bill Mann, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. All right, thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.